For so many modern driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies and then a successful coaching and online course business. But for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. We're here to share an insider's peek into the strategies and mental resilience it takes to create and run six and seven figure online businesses. As women entrepreneurs, only 2% of us will ever earn a million dollars. We've done it ourselves and we're on a mission to help you reach financial independence by chronicling our journey and sharing our proven playbook. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow a business and build a life that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the new podcasts that drop every single Tuesday. On today's episode, we talk to Bridget Lyons. Bridget is the founder of Podcast Ally, a podcast booking agency that she created and grew while traveling around the United States in a van with her husband. Hashtag van life. She recently shut down the company and we wanted to talk to her about what that process was like. Over the last few months, Jenny and I have watched a number of fairly high profile businesswomen close their business down. And we don't think there's enough discussion around why someone does that. There's also a lot of shame as if you've done something wrong or you failed in some way if you decide to close your company. So that's why we invited Bridget. We knew she'd be open to discussing all the details. And of course she does. And at the end, she shares some really valuable ideas on team building, something that Jenny and I are not so good at, as you'll hear, but I really appreciated Bridget's take on this. This is a good one. Enjoy it. Bridget Lyons, welcome to the Angie Spoke Podcast. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me here. This is like a dream come true. Bridget, we asked you here because you've had a lot of change in your life and in your business. And as we were just chatting before we hit record, it's so important to share these changes in life when it includes something like shutting a business down or selling or whatever it may be. And we just are always like playing this, like everything's fine kind of role. And so that's why you're here. But let's first start with who you are, how we know you, like what business we know you through. Yeah. So I founded a company called Podcast Ally and it was, and will continue to be, that's a new development, a podcast podcast booking agency. So my background's in PR and we focus in on podcasts. And I launched the bed around of that business not too long before the COVID-19 pandemic happened, which is sort of an important part of the story that we're going to talk about today, the roller coaster that went along with that. And in June of this year, so 2023, we shut down. And after a long 10 month process of consideration. So yeah, that's the story. And so 
there's another side of this, like one of reason that Jenny was obsessed with you when we first learned about your company, because we actually had hired you for a while there. Where were you living when you were running your whole company? What was your life like? <laughs> yes. So I built Podcast Ally to support a nomadic lifestyle. So I was living in a 21-foot fiberglass uh, travel trailer. She launched Podcast Ally before my husband and I hit the road full-time, but it was our intention always to have this nomadic lifestyle. We also sort of ended up hitting the road at the very beginning of the pandemic. So that was kind of an interesting timing. But yeah, so I was running a team, building up the agency and working while camping out on what they call BLM, so Bureau of Land Management Land. So we weren't really going to campsites. We were really just like camped out in the desert. Like there's a spot south of Joshua Tree you can camp out. There's a spot you can camp for free inside of the Grand Canyon. So if you have like a national park pass, you can get into the Grand Canyon Park and there's like a national forest, like places like that. We were spending all of our time while running the company, which was amazing. 20 out of 10 <laughs> recommended. That's great. That's amazing. Well, I spent a good part of 2021, I guess it was, into 2022 traveling as well and not quite as off-grid because had yeah. my entire family and menagerie of pets in our Airstream. So we had to have access to air conditioning, many of the places <laughs> right. we were, and electricity. But I know that the biggest question I always got asked, we were still like really early, almost pre-start normalizing of Starlink. How were you connecting to the internet enough to run an online business in that? Oh my God, everyone now I would just tell everyone to use Starlink. <laughs> yeah. Although there's some challenges with Starlink. I mean, we yeah. really looked into that. Definitely when we started, it was not optimized for nomadic people at the time and it's getting better. But what we did basically is we had two different cell phone plans. So specifically, we had like an AT&T and then a Verizon because our coverage maps are not the same and they're not as great in different areas of the country. And so we had our phones on one and then we had like a hotspot router with the other. And we used a app called Compendium that allows you to sort. You can decide like, do I want paid campsites, RV parks, or in our place, we were mostly about 70% doing what they call boondocking. So free sites, and you can sort by what has cell service. And it just like knocks out 70% of your options when you're camping, just kind of a blessing. There's so many places, especially if you're out west to camp. And we would just you know, look for the places that have the best service. Often when you're out in the middle of nowhere, like this place I mentioned, the Grand Canyon, we could see the cell tower. We had like 5G service. So that's how we did it. But I will say that, and this actually was a factor in why I ultimately closed the company, is that when I made decisions about how to use my time within the company and the offers that we would do, the client service we would do, they were incredibly impacted and limited by my conditions around how I wanted to travel and how available I wanted to be. So we had a team. I had to be available to them. I did like one-to-ones and I had things, but I really wanted to limit the recurring events on my calendar. And that kind of limited us as an agency because there were things that clients wanted from us that we could have done more revenue with. I had more of a lifestyle business. I mean, our revenues were at the end a little over 200,000. So it was, I think, a successful lifestyle business, but it was still, I think, a lifestyle business where it was built around the conditions of my life. And one of those was the cell connectivity issue where I did not want to be on Zoom all the time. And I wasn't willing to make that compromise, even though it could have meant 
more growth for our company. So I think it's important for people to think those things through if they're willing to make those trade-offs and what that means. How big was your team at the height? At the height, I think we had eight people. So we had a sort of interesting structure where the majority of our team were part-time and sometimes I would hire people for more hours, but basically I would put up a position and we had kind of two roles. We had a client role where people were working with clients and doing the pitching, and then we had a support role. And when you did the client role, I would say in the application, like you need to be available during traditional, you know, nine to five Eastern time business hours, but you don't need to work full time and you can set your hours and your own schedule within that. So we tended to get a lot of people who wanted to work like 25 or 30 hours, which really worked well because our work was very standardized, made training easier. But that also meant that like if you had worked a full 40 hour work week, you might burn out on it because it was sort of repetitive after a point. And so we had eight people, but they were like all part-timers. Mm-hmm. And so just so the audience is clear, like, so these people would like, they would learn about your show, uh, the client show, and then they would go out and they would like write pitches for different shows for their clients to appear on. Yeah. A lot of our clients had podcasts. A lot of them didn't. So it's say about 30% mm-hmm. did, 70% didn't, and they were going to guess another show. So when people come in, we'd really get to understand what stories they could tell, what their key messages were on the, the podcast. And so the team members would work with the clients to figure those out, write the pitches and pitch them every week. And the reason it was repetitive is because we had like this benchmark built in where you were expected to be pitching a certain number of podcasts each week. And the reason for that was because we had a lot of data that said, if you send out this many pitches, this is how many interviews we would expect you to get. And so we could measure those things and benchmark. So if a client worked with us for like two months and we'd sent the expected number of pitches, but they didn't have the expected number of bookings, we're like, there's something wrong here. We need to change the podcast or the pitch. And that was what they call like a leading indicator, right? Of the success that you would have as a client. And so Because of that, you were writing the pitches, working on the podcast, looking at the results, tweaking. But if we dialed in, like we had some clients where they had really successful angles. So maybe every three podcasts we sent, they'd get a booking. You were really working with an angle over and over and over again and finding more podcasts. And after a while, you know, how many hours a day do you really want to do that for, right? Right. So that's just sort of how it worked out for us. Bridget, I'm curious in terms of your business, like, did you have a goal? I mean, imagine you did sort of like a revenue goal in mind. Like when you started this company, you obviously wanted it to be integrated around your goals in life and obviously your freedom to travel. What was your end game? Like, did you have kind of in five years from now, I want this this business to look like this, or I want to sell it, or I want to, you know, have an agency with 20 people where I can step back. Like, what did you initially envision? Yeah, I think one of my problems as an entrepreneur is that I tend to set very reasonable, achievable goals. <laughs> and that's something I'm sort of working on now. I'm not like an audacious goal setter. I'm like, oh, I can manage this. And then I reach them and then maybe I should have shot for more. And so my reasonable goals were really built around, I wanted to make enough money to support this nomadic lifestyle that my husband and I had. So he had left his job so that we could do this and was working with a company. So, you know, I had, I want to pay us for a long time, it was like 6K a month, you know, is enough for us. It's more than enough for the kind of lifestyle that we had. And it felt fine. And I wanted to 
work myself completely out of client delivery with the business, which I was successful from. I mean, I built the agency from day one so that I would build a team to work with clients. And I was working near the end around 20 hours a week, which was also kind of a goal for me is just not to be working all the time to work kind of part-time hours myself. So I know those sound like for some people like that does probably sound really audacious. And sometimes when I think about closing it, I'm like, what's wrong with you? You're living the dream. You're working 20 hours a week, making good money. I had the most amazing team. We had the most amazing systems, but I also have other big goals. Like I want to retire early. And eventually I wanted to buy a house and in California and like 6K a month really isn't enough to buy a house in California, you know? So if I'd started over, I probably would have set more audacious goals than that. So tell us before we go to your current situation, what happened during the pandemic with your business? How did that impact it? Yeah. So leading into 2020, I had done a beta offer for the brand that became Podcast Ally. And before that, I'd been doing a full service PR agency. So we were pitching podcasts, Mm -hmm. but we were also doing other kinds of PR. And I really honed in on podcasts as the thing that our happiest clients and our best clients were getting value out of and decided to build a productized service model around, if folks are familiar with that. We have a highly replicable service that you can train people on and deliver. And so I had worked that out, had an amazing beta round, and I had just opened up for 2020, you know, the books to take on more clients. So we signed a bunch of business and then the pandemic hit and I'm definitely a bleeding heart (laughs) kind of person. And I emailed all of our clients and said, if you're experiencing extreme hardships, you can have out of your contracts, no questions asked. Mm -hmm. And of course, a bunch of people took me up on it. Unfortunately, right before then, I had also hired, I had had one full-time team member at the time, and then I had hired a second part-time person. And I had to really decide because when people said, yeah, thank you, I'm going <laughs> to opt out, I am experiencing hardship. I had you know, two salaries to pay and not enough income coming in to manage that. So I decided to take a risk, which is I was going to keep them on. This was in March of 2020. And I said, I have until July. We have enough business savings. So I keep a savings account for the business that's separate from my personal savings account. I mean, it was seeded by me, but it's its own bucket of money, right? Yeah. And so I said, okay, we can go to July. And if things don't start to turn around by July, then I'm going to have to make a decision about letting people go or shutting down, but I'm going to keep paying them. And in the meantime, I'm going to stop paying myself. So that's what I did. I mean, in July, things started turning around. Things started really building. It was kind of crazy how it happened. It was like the second week of July. And from then until the end of the year, I think about it like riding a wild stallion, you know, because I just started building up like six clients in the beginning of the year, had this huge dip where I think, you know, maybe had two. And then by the end of the year, we had 20. So it was a lot of growth from July on with just one and a half team members is, you know, time. And and I made some mistakes. Like I was fearful because I didn't paying myself. So I didn't hire when demand, I overworked all of us. I mean, I definitely made some fear-based mistakes in that time that that I learned from and experienced a lot of burnout. So that's kind of the, the story. And then going into 2021 and on, like I've been in this online business space for a long time. Like I heard you guys talking about like the early days of blogging. I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> like I did the design blog thing back in the day, you know? Like I've been a lot around for a long time. So I have a good reputation. We were getting a lot of referrals, a lot of business. So once we hit that 
20 client mark, we kind of basically stayed there with almost no effort. You know, we just kind of maintained and then I was able to build up the team, but I never fully recovered, I think, from the burnout that Mm -hmm. I experienced going through those ups and downs. Right. That makes sense. And what was the growth caused by in that July? Do you know? Definitely what happened was that people, when the pandemic first happened, really pulled back, right? Like people were like, what is going to happen? You know, we had some businesses that maybe had this more physical presence where they weren't sure what was going to happen or teams. And I feel like there was this collective like intake and holding of breath. Mm -hmm. And then what happened, which was really specific for my business is that people started saying, my business hasn't collapsed. I need to get out there and market again. And I know this is what happened because people will come on a sales calls with me and say, we're writing it out. We need to get out of market again. And I know podcasts are great because they're virtual. I'm not in person with somebody. I can do it from my home. I can do it while my kids are home or if somebody tests positive, you know, or if I don't feel safe going out, it's like something people could do or like conferences were going virtual at the time. And so they looked around for what are those platforms that we can use? And I was heavily marketing this. I mean, the beauty of podcasts is that you're able to network really amazingly with like other influencers in your space and have these connections through these interviews that are very similar to what happens when you go to a conference and you hit it off with people. And it it can lead to these amazing partnerships and opportunities. And so people were starting to see that. And it was like, we just happened to be a person offering that one thing you could do, you know, one out of five that you could still do when things felt scary. Right. That makes sense. So then when did you have a sense that like the uncertainty, when did that sort of, do I want to do this any longer? When did that creep in? Yeah. So that was last summer. So that was 2022. And what happened is it was like June of last year and I'm kind of a nerd. I listen to like a lot of economics podcasts. My husband has a degree in economics, used to work in banking. Like, you know, we really follow that kind of information. And I think everybody was hearing things about a recession coming too. I mean, you don't have to be a nerd to been hearing like a recession, recession, uh, investment money, like interest rates were going up. Startup investment wasn't where it was. And I've been in PR my entire career. And one thing we know for sure in this industry is that if recession hits, our budgets get cut first because, you know, we're a cost center. We can help drive business, but it's not measurable in the same way that other marketing channels are. It just goes. And I I was talking to my husband about it and I was like, I know that I could ride out a recession. I know what it would take. And I just don't know if I want to. And I just don't know if I want to go through it again. We just went through this, getting the company off the ground. And on top of that, and I think really important part of this piece of it is for me and for anybody who's thinking this way is that PR and podcast work, it's something that I got into by accident, like interning in college. And I was a creative writing major and I got into PR because it was a creative career and I was able to keep writing. And then I was good at it. And I never loved doing PR. I never felt like, you know, and you're like, I'm doing this amazing thing for the world. Like there are people in PR doing that. And I do think the work that we do has value, but that's different than feeling like it's giving you that like energy every day. The thing that I loved was actually 
building my team, working with my team and working on our system. So we have this, like, I call it a podcast relationship manager that I built. And I think you guys might've seen a little video of that. I'm really proud of that. And I loved working in the ops and with the people, but like the business itself, the doing the PR, like I could kind of take it or leave it. And one of the things I knew was that to get through another dip, I would have to go out there and market more mm-hmm. aggressively. And I couldn't bring myself. I spent years like blocked. Like I'm a writer. I spent years being unable to write. And I was like, I guess to get through it, I'd have to hire a marketer because I don't know how to force myself to do it. I've been trying for years and I just can't do it. And I just thought, you know, maybe it's time to really consider if this is the moment to let this go and do something else. And I didn't know. I mean, that was in June. It was the end of May, the following year when we finally closed. 10 months before I finally made that decision. So it took a long time to get there, but it's just that like, I don't know. I know how, I know I can, but like, do I really want to? This is so relatable. It sounds like I'm talking to Jenny, to be honest. honest, This is so (laughs) relatable. I think it's really important to share these stories because we have these conversations a lot with people who have day jobs and work for other people or work in corporate environments or whatever, where they're, you know, like your job isn't your life and you can change at any time and you have all these choices. And I think what happens to us as entrepreneurs, once we reach success is our businesses tend to take on a life of their own. At least that's been my experience. And I think like often there's not that many of us that reach success, like unexpected levels of success. And so when that happens, you wake up you look around and you're like, I didn't try to make this. This took on a life of its own. And now this is my life. Yeah. I have to decide every single day to show up and want this company. Otherwise it breaks. And we've made a lot of decisions collectively, Sandy and I, in the last year, which our listeners know we've split our company in two and we've let a lot of people go and we've reorganized everything in order to turn kind of this five-headed monster that grew out of COVID into something that we both want still. And I I think it's like really important to have those honest conversations because just because you're an entrepreneur and you made something doesn't mean that you're beholden to follow it wherever it goes. Like you still have agency in your life. And and it's just because you don't have a job and it's not as easy to quit, you still can. Like you can still make those decisions of either changing it or letting it go or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's so hard. And for me, like a lot of my identity was wrapped up in the success of my company. And there's an ego piece that I think we can be honest about too. Like, God, this is so embarrassing to say out loud. I'm like a person who gets a real high from other people perceiving me as intelligent. Like if somebody is like, oh, you're so smart, you're so intelligent. Or like when you go on a podcast and like, oh, Oh, let's take a moment there. You know, I just like eat that shit up. I'm so good. I could I can live on that forever. <laughs> and my business gave me a lot of that, right? It gave me a lot of those ego highs. But the day-to-day work that we delivered was draining. And I just started really thinking about as I went through this process of deciding what to do, like what if I were actually doing the work that fed me and not just like that ego result at the end or feeling like, you know, I'm going to go see my, my grandma or my parents and say like, look what my company did. Look what we, you know, it's like being an entrepreneur. I think there's also this feeling like you want to prove to your family that you're okay. Yeah, especially um, for costs. women. I think that's even more so for women. Yeah. 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 That like proving that you're, 
your company is paying off. And I definitely have that. I have a really high achieving family that I'm from. And so, and I'm already the weird one, you know, I'm in my forties. I don't have kids. I traveled full time in a trailer. <laughs> like <laughs> I wanted to have that, like, look what I did to mm-hmm. make my family feel like things were okay. So there's a lot built up into, into that decision that just makes it really hard. And the people that you employ, right? Like, how was that to break that news to your staff, your team? Horrible. (laughs) I made a mistake. It wasn't a mistake. I visited my team. So three of my team members actually live in Medellin, Colombia. And that's sort of a funny story, but how they all came to me, you know, from the same place. And I had traveled in February to go meet them for the first time. And then a few months later, I had to be like, sorry, guys. And it was so hard because I liked everybody on the team, mm-hmm. which I don't think we should take for granted. Sometimes you employ people that yeah. Yeah. I liked everybody and everybody was so skilled. Like I never once had to follow up with a team member and be like, you said you were going to do something and you didn't do it. And I never take that for granted. Like everybody got their work done. They did a high quality work. Everybody had their own individual skills that they brought. There was no drama. I mean, they're just so special. And that for me was the hardest part was disbanding it and this feeling of responsibility. Like one of the things I like to rant about is how they talk about your risk as an entrepreneur, but I was bootstrapped. So I didn't have investors. I had LLC and I didn't have any private loans. I did have like a business loan, but you know, if you default on that, that's not going to affect your own personal whatever. So they have a bigger risk because I have all this time to see what's happening and make a decision. Whereas I could just tell them their jobs are gone at any point. And because we're a small company, there's no real regulations about how I do that or how much notice I give. So that's something I had to really work out to find integrity within myself. And I actually, um, one of the things I think that I did that was really effective and was the right thing to do was that not long after that June, when I started having conversations with my husband, I started just bringing the team into it. And you know, I don't believe in oversharing or overburdening your team with your problems either. But, you know, there was an economic challenges coming up ahead. I think we're, we've all been feeling that. And so I was able to talk to them kind of an educational level in our staff meetings. Like here, if the economy ha- hurts, here's what's going to happen for us. And we had some really cool meetings like around, well, if people, because we have a monthly service, so people are paying close to like 2000 a month, kind of dependent on the client, you know, ongoing for a year to work with us. And I'm like, well, you know, people still buy, but they don't buy these big commitments. So is there something we can offer instead? Can we get ahead of things? And we came up with a really great offer together that the team built out. It was really rewarding. And so I was able to kind of share with them, like, we might, we might run into a session. This is what it's going to look like. This is how we're getting ahead of it. And then as time went on, like, okay, things are starting to slow down and here's what that means. And then I did cut people's hours in December. Um, But by the time I'd done that, we've been talking about it for months and nobody was surprised or angry. And, And as time went on, I got a little bit more honest about where I was. And so by the time I told them we were closing and I gave them, I think about six weeks notice, I think they'd all had time to think through okay, what happens if we close? This could actually happen. And maybe even think through like, did they want to leave versus stay? And they had decided to stay. But I think everybody like 
very quickly had, okay, here's what I'm going to do next. Because I had said to them, like, my goal is to support you and getting work. If you want to freelance with our clients, I have a process for that. Like all these things, like, tell me what you want. And I will, I will do everything I can to get you whatever that is. And like, one of our team members like, well, I'm going to go with my girlfriend who's a copywriter and we're going to start a podcast production and writing business. And so I've given him like a little mentorship on, you know, things for that. And so made those commitments, but everybody knew what they wanted. So I think that openness, instead of saying like, we're closing in six weeks, (laughs) surprise. Mm -hmm. I know not everyone can do that. And there's risks that people will leave ahead of time. But I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't know if I want to be here. So why am I going to trick them into being here with me? If they leave, that just makes my decision easier. (laughs) So like, it's really not a bad thing. That's really a beautiful story of how to wind it down and, you know, so respectful to those team members. You're all fired up about your business until you have to go and market it, talk about it, promote it. All of that feels so heavy, hard, and overwhelming. We know that your business will flourish when you become comfortable promoting your work. And for that reason, we created Visible, a program that helps women amplify their voice in a world that tries to keep them quiet. Build an audience around your body of work and not just your body. So forget everything you've been taught about marketing. Visible is your fastest route to building an audience of raving fans that can turn into paying clients. Inside bonus, you can ignore trend alerts on Instagram. Join Visible today at joinvisible.co. So then what? Like what's next? What happened next? You closed it down. You told everyone. And what did you do? Yeah, well, I told the team and I told our clients and I did not tell anyone else. (laughs) (laughs) I just, in that process also, like my husband and I, we moved back. So we stopped traveling nomadically. We moved back to Sacramento, California, which is a place we'd been really happy living in like 10 years beforehand. We bought a house. He went back to his former like fortune 500 company job. They like have a full size bathroom. Oh my God. I have two bathrooms. Uh, (laughs) But my house is very much under construction. It's like a fixer upper. So that was a lot of what I did. I spent a lot of time organizing contractors and I'm really good at tearing off trim all in one piece without breaking it. Wow. Because I thought to save money, I would sand it and paint it and put it back on. But then I decided that that sounded like hell and we got rid of it. But that was my, (laughs) you know, (laughs) the time. I spent a lot of time working on the house after I shut it down. And then I got kind of burnt out on that because that's exhausting and and disgusting. We had a lot of spiders. And then I decided that I needed to learn how to rest and not just disassociate. And I spent a lot of time lying on the couch, reading books and trying not to feel guilty about it. I'm actually still spending time on that. And like puttering around in my garden and just doing things for fun and trying to remember what that felt like. So that's a process. And then after about three or four months of that, I felt I'm ready to start working again. So I started writing and that's where the announcement came from. You know, I decided to announce to my email list and I've been cross-posting things on LinkedIn I've started writing. And the really cool thing is, is that when I started writing, I found myself writing about a thousand words a day. Just like so much is just pouring out. And that's been a gift because I thought that was gone. I thought I had lost that forever. 
and I just needed some time. And so I did. I spent a few hours this morning writing and, and trying to using that as a way to figure out what I'm doing next. And I think what I'm going to end up doing is I did apply for a couple jobs, but you know, the, ugh, God, I'm like a feral cat. I don't, I've been on my own too long. I just don't know if I can do it. Yeah, that would be tough. I, like my husband loves his job, but he comes home and is like, if you had to work in this environment with the inefficiencies and like, you would just lose your mind, you know? And so I'm thinking about doing like some consulting or some like fractional COO work, maybe like a membership. I don't know, I'm figuring it out. I'm writing, I'm figuring mm-hmm. it out. I'm talking to people and I'm just giving myself time, which is something yeah. I've never done before. And yeah, so <laughs> sorry about you, but you also have said like, that you're really interested in helping other people team build and systems and processes yeah. and thank God for people like you, because yeah, Jenny and I are not that like when you said that, I was like, Oh, why? But you know, it's like what lights you up and you're so, so good at it. And think truly. Come have God me do people. a class or something with your, <laughs> yeah. seriously. I mean, I was shocked just every time. And there's been this pattern. I've noticed people closing their businesses or leaving partnerships or making major life transitions or taking full-time jobs who I never thought would not be entrepreneurs. And so when I read your post, I mean, I was, I wasn't surprised because of that trend, but I was surprised because of it was you. And then when you, um, talked about what you, what you like doing and the part that you loved about your business, I was, I was just like, well, this is so amazing that we can have these very disparate relationships to growing a business, right? Because that is the hardest part for me. And it's so beautiful that what's, fun and easy and rewarding for you is like the hardest part for someone else. And I think that just, that's amazing. You don't have to be one kind of person to be a successful entrepreneur. Totally. And I think there's like a lot of shaming of people who like don't want to grow a team, right? Like you can't scale if you don't hire. And I'm not about that life. Like if you want to have a more of a lifestyle business and like freelance and make good money that way, like great. Like, but I think that if you want to build a team, like your job changes in such a fundamental way. And oh yeah, I know when I was looking to do it, like I would find myself Googling things like, what am I actually supposed to do in a staff meeting? You know, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at like yes, methodologies, yes. like agile and like, all the, I'm like, what is a staff meeting? What is the purpose of a staff meeting? Why am I doing them? There's nothing, there's nothing out there to help you come up with I think a lot of these really fundamental questions about leading teams, there are some good advice about like giving feedback and like one-to-ones that I found, but there's just so many structures that like we'll pick up from our corporate jobs or experiences that aren't necessarily relevant to small businesses. And then we're just out there like figuring it all out for ourselves. And I made a lot of mistakes. Like when I talk about not hiring when we were growing and burning everybody out, you know, and it was a horrible experience for all of us. And I wish I could take it back and make it right. But all I can do is learn from it. And and I did learn from it and change things going forward. And I don't know, I just, if I could save, you know, one team, the manager and the people working with them from having an experience like that, like, then I would feel like I'm actually making a difference in this Mm -hmm. world. That was our life, right, Jenny, in the beginning of COVID? Oh yeah. We couldn't hire fast enough and train fast enough. And we burnt, I think everybody was extremely exhausted for many, many months. And then 
I don't think we let go of people quickly enough either when that when it came time to to like right size. And so that created a lot of tension and problems. So like it's just all of it. And, you know, we had no idea what we were doing because it was me and Sandy forever with like, you know, a couple developers like <laughs> that was sort mm-hmm. of like our world. And we had hired our first assistant like pretty much right before covid or we were at the point where we were ready and it was like i just always had anticipated a gradual growth and we went you know from yeah. three and a half four people to 22 23 people within a month and like how would anyone know i have never managed anyone in my life you yeah. know other than an intern or a student assistant or something and that was already hard for me to do so then to jump into like having your job be like a visionary to grow a business, to conceive of it, to execute, then to being a manager of like many, many people overnight. And like, that's the hardest, that was the hardest thing for me, for sure. And because because people have lives outside of work too, right? And you start to mm-hmm. become responsible for them as the owner of the company at like when someone, there's a death in their family or someone gets really sick or something happens, a natural disaster. Like how on earth do human beings know how to deal with this? Like, I don't know. I mean, and I made a a ton of mistakes and continue to make a lot of mistakes with all of that stuff because I'm sure there are people for whom that's natural or people who had jobs in HR in other businesses or entities. But like for those of us that haven't, how on earth would you ever know how to handle that situation? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, it was so much of that like you, like making mistakes, figuring things out as I went. And it helped for me to that, like my husband had worked in this environment where he had a lot of direct reports. He had like 20 direct reports, but like a hundred people reporting up for him. But I will say he came from a major organization and they never gave him management training. He had to go out and get that on his Mm -hmm. own. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not like I hear that a lot, actually. That's yeah, that's insane. Have any, yeah, they don't necessarily have it any better. And the one of the things that I like to conceptualize it as is that when you hire a team, when you go from like a solo person delivering the work to somebody who's hiring a team, your primary responsibility and focus leaves your client or your user and it goes onto your team to enable them to serve the client or the user. So like a lot of us, for example, have like built courses, right? Like I built courses and designed them and I use that framework when I realized I needed a better way to onboard my team. So I started to say like, okay, what do I expect people to come in with knowing how to do the skills? And what are their knowledge gaps that they're going to have based on like the principles for decision-making that I want them to have? Because I think that's the biggest thing you need to teach people is like the framework that they should use to make decisions. All those decisions that you can't anticipate that they're going to make on their own and that they might do differently than you would have them do because they have their own experiences they're bringing to the table. So like assuming that you know that people will make the like right choices, I say in air quotes, you know, is just a big breakdown people have. And so I like to think about that with people, like what are they coming in with? What will their experiences be? Where will be their gaps? And how can I progressively train them and give them responsibility on like a timeline? And what are the benchmarks that I know they're ready to have me stop checking something and let them go on to the next stage. And I think if you take that, like if you've ever created a course, that framework that you would take your students through learning and you apply that for how you want people to operate in your business, something is accessible to a lot of us because we 
all done that. And we've had to think through mm-hmm. that. And then once you have that framework, when you take somebody through it, you can say like, okay, what didn't work? What went really well? And like tweak it because now it's like a design of how you're sharing that information rather than, oh, I hired somebody and maybe I have like day one, but they're just like thrust into the job and here's all your responsibilities. And I don't want to micromanage them, but like, I've got to know what's going on. It's good to kind of have that mapped out for yourself, I think ahead of time, but sometimes you're not going to be able to figure that out until you've gone through the the hard way. Yeah. 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 Well, and cultural differences and personality differences and like all the layers of the things that you don't necessarily anticipate or know when they're going to pop up. And the more people you add, each new person like creates exponentially more almost relationships Mm. or potential issues, right? Like it's, that's what it it seems to me. It's like, it's like when you're making a big like a stew or something or a big soup, you know, like you can have everything's fine. Like, I'm just going to add like a little more like lemon zest or a little more salt, but like you can ruin the whole thing, you know? And (laughs) I think that's the other, anyway, it's to me, it's like an animal. It's like a living, breathing animal, a team. It's like a, it becomes an organism in and of itself. But I, Mm -hmm. I think that there are tools and systems and processes that make it better. I still think it's a little wild. It, oh, it's definitely yeah. wild. And like one of our big mantras, well, I, I guess two that we had were like, one was just like, if we, I had had a boss who she'd read a book and she'd come to a staff meeting and everything in her company would change. Right. And it was like every week, whatever book she just read, we were doing something new. And it was like whiplash. So I had something where I'm like, if we're going to decide to do something new, we're going to decide like a month to a month and a half. And then we're going to come back to a group and evaluate together if it was working for us, but we're going to stick with it. So if we decide we're going to do it at least a month and we're going to stick with it and then we'll discuss. So we didn't have like this whiplashing effect when everybody could weigh in on things. And I think that can help a lot with small businesses that are changing a lot. And then the other thing was my mantra was, it's not a people problem, it's a systems problem. So if we had a point where something would fail, like for us, the biggest failure point could be you know, a client doesn't show up for their podcast interview. Like that's the biggest emergency we probably have, right? They don't show up. And there were a couple of times early on before we had good systems in place where that happened. And I think you could say that maybe there were some things we could have done a little bit better, right? And the first time it happened, you know, the the person that it happened with, it was like, okay, well, you're going to fix it because this was your ball dropped. I'm not going to swoop in and fix it for you, which I think is important. And then you know, when everything's calmed down, we're going to take a look and see where the system failed you. So not saying like where you failed the client, but where the systems that we had set up failed you. So what automations could we have? What reminders were in place? Why wasn't this almost unmissable for you to make for the client? And I think that helps like removing blame from individuals because people want to do a good job, I think. And if they don't, and if they're, I had somebody who was, you know, lying about the work that she was doing and because of the systems, it's like really easy to see that in my company, really easy. She'd come to meetings and kind of do that like, oh yeah, I was working on that. You you know, something that was supposed to be done a, a month ago. Like, oh yeah, I was working on that this morning and she could an update and it sounded real good, but like, you're like, you're, you're full of it. You know, and I had to let her go after like, a month, I think, because she just like lied about doing the work, having visibility. But in general, people want to do a good job. And so if they're not doing a good job, if you can take the blame away and say, like, where our system fail you? What kind of support did you need? Why wasn't this easier for you to do? Is this something you hate doing? Is this really part of your work? Should somebody else be doing it? Or do you have to suck it up, but we can make it easier in some way? 
and take the the sting out, I think really helps. All that stuff, I can't stand it, but I appreciate so much that you're sharing it. It's just so, I just want to race ahead to the work. I want to do the things. Like I don't want to babysit people or take care of them. Like I, that part of me is missing. It's so terrible to say out loud and in public, but I love I what you're bad. saying. It's just something to know about yourself, but I don't babysitting people. That's like, that's a bad thought. The terrible way to look at it. It's terrible. We're both missing it, some of the nurturing genes that people have. Yeah, like Sandy it. has more than I do for sure. Just don't have that. Like I don't, I don't nurture very well. Well, that's why so. we hardly have any team left either, right? Like we've just simplified, <laughs> automated. We let a lot of people go and it yeah. simplified yeah. everything. And, and the people who are still here don't need a lot of handholding at all, right? So I think that that's like the, in our cases, way yeah. things evolved is that there was just sort of a natural calling of anyone who needed more of that because we can't provide mm -hmm. it like I'm sure with training Bridget if I if I was around and understood I'm so sorry how much time do you think it took me a week to do this kind of mentoring that a I'm lot, talking about a lot no, no. 30 oh. minutes I did a 30 minute one-to-one -one with my team members and oh <laughs> Just 30 minutes a week. I was like, this is like 40 hours. You said you only work 20 hours. I did this in 30 minutes a week. And then like occasionally, you know, a client email would come out that yeah. people would need before because they would hold things for the weekly one-to-one. -one. 30 minutes. I mean, when they first come on, they need more for the first few months. But like you have to be, I think there's, it's like a feeling. <laughs> there's actions, but so, there's also like a feeling inside that I don't think that I have. You guys, I'm not nurturing. I'm child for my choice. I don't want kids. I don't want pets. <laughs> yeah, maybe I give all of the nurturing to the Frenchie. So we're that's what where I it all do goes. get though is a lot of satisfaction when the people working for me do a really good job with something. Like their yeah, accomplishments yeah, sure. feel like my accomplishments. Yeah. But like what you're talking about though is like we had systems set up. So that was the system question because I'm not a touchy feely person. So when the systems are failing you, I could be like oh, well, the client didn't show up because what we did is we took our database and we said, let's send an automation email that will code to you. You're still going to update it and send it to the client, but our database is going to draft it because just sending out all these emails is annoying. You know, it's like, I think about paper cuts. What are the paper cuts in your people's yeah. day that you don't need to get up and band-aid, you don't need to stop your work, but every single time you rub it, it's a little annoyance. Mm -hmm. And how can you eliminate mm -hmm. all those paper cuts so they can do their best work? Mm -hmm. I get it. I get it. You don't have to have all the feelings if you can like systematize it and program a system to do it for you. Exactly. I can get behind that. I can yep. totally get behind that <laughs> because I, I think that the issue is, is like being a boss or a manager to me is like a very uncomfortable role in life because I don't, mm -hmm. I don't think hierarchically about human beings. And so I think for me, that breaks the entire th thing because as a person interacting with other people, I, that makes me incredibly uncomfortable. I know we need hierarchies. Totally. I know that that should exist in lots of ways for lots of reasons. I've been a part of non-hierarchical organizations, nonprofits often that are terribly run and managed, you know, so I totally get the needs for it, but I just, I have a hard time in real life associating that way with people. But I see what you're saying where if you like, you can plan yeah. it and program it and organize it, you can kind of eliminate the emotional part of it maybe a bit. Yeah. And like sometimes 
for the emotional part, which is hard for me. Like I'll have to like write myself out scripts because like on the Myers-Briggs, uh-huh. I'm a T and not an F. That's like not me. And uh-huh. you just sometimes have to like let people, you know, say the things they need to say. Yeah. But I will say like I'm with you on that. And the way I conceptualize the role of myself as like a boss or a leader is I always thought with my team, my job is to clear the way for them to do the work that matters. That's my role as their boss. And so when they come to me, I need to be thinking about solutions. Like how can I clear the way so that the important work of the company is done? That and sales were like my two roles in the company. I think if you can conceptualize it that way, it can take out some of that yucky feelings. But I will say I had a really struggle too with that because one of the mistakes I made early on was not asking directly for what I needed from my team. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a bit of a culture of like insubordination that came out of that mm-hmm. and people feeling like they could just do what they wanted. And that's like a whole, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> whole yeah. other can of worms. Yeah. People yeah. pleasing, right? That's people, people pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, an issue exactly. we talk about a lot. Sandy coaches me on that the extent that I allow her to coach me because <laughs> it's hard to coach you just coaching from your friend, but Loved yeah, ones I know that. For your yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm like, you can't tell me that someone else has to tell me yep. that and then I'll listen. It's definitely how it is. <laughs> yeah. Story of my life right here. All right. Okay. Bridget, I think that you have a new business, something somewhere in here in this conversation, you know, like obviously you you have figured out something that many of us haven't. So we'll eagerly await to see how this unfolds in your next venture. Thank you so much. So Bridget, at the end of every episode, we ask our guests to share a joy. So something that's bringing you joy and happiness in your life right now and a tool that can help our audience hustle in their career or business. Do you have a joy for us? Yeah, I actually already mentioned it. And my biggest joy is just like reading books. And I am a creative writing major who read a lot of serious literature. And I'm just really indulging in a lot of like fantasy novels and like science fiction and just like escapism. And I wanted to recommend a book if that's okay. Yeah, that I read. Please. It was really touched me. It's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. And it is a book about two friends who become like video game developers. And there's a bit of content warning. There's a bit of like a relationship abuse for one of the characters in the book. But it is just like very beautiful and sort of sad and just this like really touching look at love and friendship and how friendships can transcend your emotional or your really your relationships sometimes you know your romantic relationships it's just beautiful so mm-hmm. oh, that's what i've read in the last few months yeah amazing your hustle yes i my favorite tool so since i sold my company i've been like getting rid of all my subscriptions i don't even think i mentioned that but we just like got a buyer last week so we're working yeah, on that's selling amazing. yeah congratulations yeah Thank you. But since I've, you know, been winding things down, I've gotten rid of all of my business subscriptions except for one. And that is for a tool called Boomerang, which mm. is an oldie. So Boomerang is a browser app that you can use to basically use with your email to send emails back mm. to you. So mm-hmm. you like boomerang your email. Um, and it's free for quite a few uses. It's actually something we paid for for everybody in our team. But it's an amazing tool because, like in our business, you know, we had to follow up a lot. And I experimented with we have a you know, this podcast relationship manager where you would go in and log everything you were doing and 
having the follow-ups be in a database versus in your inbox, you like won't do them because they're so easy to ignore. Because if you send somebody like, um, I want to be a guest in your podcast, or I want to speak at this event, or have you looked at that proposal? It's so vulnerable to follow up on that and you have to. And so Boomerang is a free tool where you can send it out. And when you send it, you can have it come back in your inbox in a week or however long you want to follow up with it. And it's like literally the only way I can force myself to do that. And then I'm also a person who will get an email and like have a hard time responding. Like I know you're supposed to respond to quick emails like immediately. And I just, I can't. And so I'll just boomerang the email so I can think about it for when I know I'm going to sit down and write it back. And so that's how I manage my emails so that my inbox isn't so cluttered. So we'll actually take it out of your inbox and then land it again. So it feels like Mm. it's not. Yep. Numbers go down. So if you're like, if you're like an inbox zero kind of person, you'll go to zero, Mm -hmm. but you'll say like, okay, I'm going to think about this for a couple of hours and I can boomerang it for this afternoon and I'll sit down and respond. It's amazing. Yeah. I heard of that tool a long time ago, but I could not have told you what it did. So, because it's been around for a while, right? It is a really old tool. And there's like the pause and stuff in Gmail, but I don't think any of them like send you back, Mm -hmm. like, like vacate and come back Mm -hmm. in the same way. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Oh, that's super cool. Thank you for that. Because it comes back on red. So it's like, Uh it's at the top, Uh it's on red. It's not like yeah. going down, down, yeah. down, down, yeah. where now you forget you've had it or Your like to do you know list is below, some... but when it's oh. bolded yeah. and not read, yeah. unread. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like right up there at the top, like a new yeah. email. And so yeah. there's something about that that makes it just like, oh, I've got to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So for like sales outreach and stuff, this would be amazing. Totally. Like when I would send a proposal, I would boomerang it like for, you know, whatever time, like we talked about, like, when do you need to think about this? So if they're like, oh, I'm going to think about it over the weekend and get back to you on Tuesday, Mm -hmm. I'd boomerang it on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's smart. And you can put a note too. So if somebody says something, you can add a little note to yourself. Like they said, they'd get back to me on blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Or like podcasters will sometimes say like, we're booked out, but get back to me in two months when we're booking again. And so I could literally do that Mm -hmm. and boomerang and said, they said to get back to me in two months. And like, Mm -hmm. it's amazing. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's great. That's really good. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I think that's the only time that's ever been mentioned. So yeah. that's, you get kudos for yeah. saying a hustle that's never for a been unique on one before. Yeah. Yeah. And it's free. Yeah. <laughs> for quite fantastic. a few uses. <laughs> we will all be downloading it. <laughs> so Bridget, if people want to follow you, your writing, what's next, where would they go? This is the worst because I coach people in this for a living, but like, I don't have any website yet. So right now I am, I do. That's where I'm post cross posting all my stuff is LinkedIn with Bridget Lyons. And I am, if you go to podcast ally, I'm still like writing emails to the list for the time being. So in a couple months, I'll probably change, but I'll be able to tell people where I'm going. So LinkedIn Bridget Lyons is probably the best place to hear from me where I'm going next. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for the time you spent. It was super fascinating and very excited about your sale and your your new ventures that are headed your way. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Marvelous. Marvelous helps you build and grow your own courses, memberships, and live streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. If you're looking for a simple, beautiful, custom branded platform to build and grow your online business, you can learn more at heymarvelous.com.